Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Living Your Life with Leanne Lang. Since COVID hit, moving from the Extension Marketing Studios and Blast Podcast, record in a quiet bedroom here within my house. A deep appreciation to John Milkey from Blast Podcast, helping to get the technical side of things on track. Now, I am beyond excited to bring you today's guest. Usually, I have an easy time pinpointing the focus in my podcast intros, put in tidbits of my own experience with the subject, and let you know what you'll be able to take from the discussion and the guest. This one was a little bit tougher. There is going to be a lot to cover. At the forefront is unconditional love. If you've ever questioned it or wondered how deep it goes, you will hear it unfold in its truest form from my guest, Amanda Jete Knox. Some of you may be familiar with her writing from her popular blog, The Maven of Mayhem. An award-winning writer, she has been featured in O Magazine, The Globe and Mail, BuzzFeed, Us Weekly, The Today Show, and many others. But it's her best-selling book, Love Lives Here, a story of thriving in a transgender family that really tops all of it off. Had you met Amanda out with her family a decade ago, you may have simply recognized a family of five, a mother, father, and three sons. Fast forward to the present day, living a much happier, authentic life is Amanda, her wife Zoe, their eldest son Eric, their daughter Alexis, and their youngest son Jackson. Throughout the podcast, I hope to cover the journey from point A to point B, the courage it took to maneuver the obstacles, and and to come out on the other side as LGBTQT advocates slash activists that proves that love can conquer all. I'm grateful Amanda is chatting with us today. I feel enriched having read her book, and with an added understanding now of transgender people, their struggles, reality, and resilience. I hope the language I use is not not only proper, but endearing and inclusive, as I have learned there are additional layers we don't often see, even when we think we are doing or saying the right thing. Amanda, I am so excited. Thank you so much for having the, you know, the time, especially to what we're going through to, to be able to join us today. I'm very excited. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, uh, I had heard people talking about the book. I had heard people kind of say, you know, have you heard this story? And I think um, I think you're becoming quite accustomed to that, right? As, as the story is expanding, the circles are getting bigger. The discussion and the dialogue is becoming more profound, hitting schools and we events. Uh, more, more people are, are coming to terms or understanding your story or that you guys are out there. Have you felt that? I think so. Yeah, I think that overall, uh, there's a lot more acceptance out there now and a lot more um, desire to to learn and to grow and to be more inclusive. Um, It wasn't something that was on the radar for a really long time. And uh, I think we can we can definitely thank trans people for that. I mean, trans people are the ones who brought this, you know, this understanding and acceptance to the forefront. And then uh, parents and partners like me have helped amplify that really, but it, it really is thanks to them. Well, and it's the fight 
and the injustice that they went through for, for so many years prior to even being able to have the dialogue that we have today. Like you have to think of the struggles and what they faced decades, years ago to be able to get to this point. Yeah, I uh, I do know somebody who is um, uh, a a trans woman, an elder trans woman, and she's been through so many obstacles to try and get legal recognition. And she was telling me stories about being on the steps of Parliament, holding signs, her and maybe one or two other trans people, and being laughed at and mocked or ignored. Um, you know, being harassed, being out there for such a long time. Um, it's quite a different world. That you know, it's not that those things don't happen, but certainly there is more of a desire for acceptance today so i'm gonna i'm gonna take us back there's so much that i want to be able to hit on with this and i think my first my first thought was going from having this ability and to be such a beautiful writer uh oh, and to you. take the blogs that you had yeah a beautiful writer but when did it when did you realize that these blogs or the writings were eventually going to make its way into the book and to what we and the final product that we have and have the ability now to learn so much more through the book? Well, I think um, it was always just going, first of all, it wasn't going to be a blog at all. And I, I mentioned that in the book as well. I, I wasn't going to talk about this openly. Um, it's it's not really um, a safe thing to do to out somebody without their permission. I mean, uh, that's a really important thing to know about LGBTQ people. And so um, it was actually my child who really pushed for me to keep writing in the blog and talk about our story. It became a book um, after my spouse came out. And when that happened, we went through so much as a couple. And I looked and looked. I tried to find um, support systems out there. And there were stories out there, but they were really hard to find. I, I certainly didn't come across anything that, that filled me with hope that things were going to be okay. Um, and our journey wasn't perfect. Um, you know, I made a lot of mistakes. Um, we had many obstacles to overcome to be able to get to the place where we are today. And so I think that I knew I had to write a book about that. That could not be covered in a blog. That had to be something that was explored deeply in a book. So I, I saved all the really challenging stuff for, for the actual book. I think what was so uh, hard hitting for me and I think why it made such an impact and I hope and I've told my daughters I'm like you will read this and I want to be able to tell the school systems you need to have this book as part of the curriculum because we're going to talk about bullying and um, you know alcohol addiction and suicide ideation like there's so many things that this book actually touches on but what I found profound is right from the very beginning I understood Zoe as a woman as female and and so throughout the course of the book i had already seen her in that way because you introduced her that way was that something like how because i found that so uniquely brilliant <laughs> to have that experience where did that where did that come from to know to do it that way 
Well, respect, basically. Um, I think one of the things that I had to internalize as a cisgender person, and a cisgender person, for people who don't know, is somebody who identifies with the gender that they were assigned at birth. So I was assigned female at birth. I definitely feel like a woman. Um, And so as a cisgender person, I don't know what it's like to be trans. And so if I just look at it through my lens and I say, oh, somebody used to be this and now they're this, that really does a disservice to the person who is trans, who is trying to say, you know, I this is who I've always been. And so I really internalized that, thankfully, um, through my family members. And so when I went to write the book, uh, you know, I'm, I'm offered this this book deal and, it, you know, for for an author, that's that's, you know, a, a, an aspiring author. That's that's a dream of a lifetime, right, to have a major public publishing house say, hey, we want to publish a book of yours. Um, And I'm looking at the deal and I got on the phone with them and I said, okay, I'm so honored. I'm so thrilled. But uh, there are a couple of things that I need to be able to do here. One of them was no before and after pictures, right? Just after pictures, just pictures of the way we are now and some younger pictures of me because I was comfortable with that and some pictures of my family, but, but really like anything to do with, um, with, with Zoe or Alexis, you know, they weren't comfortable with that. And I didn't want to represent them that way. I said, the other thing is I'm not going to be using old names or, uh, or old pronouns. And, uh, I haven't had to do that in my blog. Uh, uh, people understand that, um, you know, that that's out of respect and I still get the message across. I said, just trust me, I, I can write this. And it was actually really challenging in some areas, but I decided that the easiest way to do that was to tell our stories concurrently. So, you know, I'm telling my story and I'm also, you know, bringing Zoe into the picture as young Zoe. And, and, you know, before she has a name, she's called the girl from Peterborough because that's where she's from. So immediately you meet her like this. And I think that that is, is, um, you know, and more importantly, she thinks that that is a far more respectable, you know, a, a respectful way to to talk about her. I It was, and I think for the reader, it was an immediate understanding. And, and it's exactly that, the girl from Peterborough. I knew as soon as that was the introduction that this was who I was, you know, this is who I was going to be learning about. As you were able to do that through the course of the book, you really do go through each of your childhoods as you were going through your different stages. Like Amanda, like I wanted to cry in so many parts of your childhood and, and there was serious bullying. There was so much heartache. There was so much of your own personal struggles that, you know, at for the first part of the book, it's like, you were the one that we wanted to be able to understand fully. What was it like to be able to express just the torment and the difficulties that you had growing up? Well, funny enough, a lot of what I uh, talk about in the book, uh, in you know, is is a is a is a watered down version. I actually left a lot of that out because the real story is the story of my family. But I wanted people to understand how important it is to take your previous experience, your hurt, your trauma, your pain, and be able to turn it into something that's hopefully positive and hopeful um, that helps people because otherwise it is just a burden. And so I felt it was really uh, crucial that I went back and talked a lot about what I went through. Um, it was it was tough. It was tough to talk about the times when I felt so alone, um, the times when I felt 
uh, that life wasn't worth living, um, the times when I was beaten up. I mean, and again, there are so many different uh, things that are not discussed there. But um, at the end of the day, sometimes that is what shapes us, right? Our, our childhoods and our, our early experiences really do shape us. And you can choose to use that as a positive or a negative doesn't mean that what happened to me was positive. It just means that it gave me some empathy and some understanding so that when my child came out to me, I was able to look at the list of, um, you know, risk factors for trans youth, a lot of them um, based on society's inability or, I guess, you know, um, unwillingness to be accepting. And I thought, well, I know what it's like not to be accepted. I don't know what it's like to be trans, but I know what it's like to be bullied. I know what it's like to be called names. I know what it's like to be assaulted. I know what it's like to be, um, you know, ignored, ostracized, uh, to feel hopeless, um, all of those things. And that's what I used to, to help me connect to my child who was going through something that I couldn't understand. I, I say that because there was such a past experience with you that I, throughout the time, I'm, it's all, we're always rooting for you. Like we want, we want good and happiness and love, you know, as the reader, I knew that there was a happy ending. And so I was able to read through it uh, to know what these experiences were going to lend itself to. And I think that really lent itself to these two major moments. One is Alexis's email to you and Zoe at the time. Um, and then also the conversation you have with Zoe a year and a half later about Zoe's coming out. So here you are with this, you know, three young children. Well, not so young. I think when Alexis came to you, there was an email that was sent. Can we start there with the, uh, with the, the email? Yeah. Or the yeah. Text. Is it email or text? It was an email. It was an email. And it was, um, so it was, it was the eve of pink shirt day where people wear pink shirts to school or work to uh, show their support for anti-bullying. And uh, I was very organized as I always am and took the kids out the night before to try and find pink shirts, which was an exercise in frustration for all of us. Uh, our youngest was seven at the time, Jackson. And uh, Jackson's always, you know, I, I joke around, I used to call him my little David Bowie because he's always been, you know, especially when he was younger, he's very fluid in his presentation. And we were totally cool with that. You want to paint your nails? Cool. You want to wear heels? Cool. I don't care. Like, just be you, right? Um, and he was getting really mad. He's like, you know, I love pink and there's no pink in the boys section and I really don't get it. And why not? And, and, you know, so I, I was, you know, I was talking to him. I'm like, you're right, buddy. You know, it's just a color. Um, I don't understand why it's still so frowned upon for boys to wear pink. And we have this big discussion again about being able to express yourself and be who you are. So we find some pink shirts for the kids and we come home and I felt like a really, really good mom to Jackson and, uh, and that was that I went about my night and I didn't know that that was going to be the catalyst for Alexis to tell us that she was Alexis. Um, so a couple of hours after that, probably, um, you know, my, my spouse comes in and hands me the phone and says, you need to read this. And there was an email and it was from Alexis, uh, who was 11 at the time from, I mean, you know, maybe 12 feet across the hall. It really wasn't that far. Her, her bedroom's right across from ours. Um, that said something like, please don't be mad. Please try to understand. 
And again, this is 11 year old language, but you know, she said, I am a girl trapped in a boy's body and more than anything else, I need to be a girl. Um, and I felt this way for a long time and I haven't been able to say anything. I've been so scared. Um, and, and, you know, please don't come into my room until you've had a chance to think about it, which was a very, very smart thing for a child to say to their parent. Um, we didn't have to think long because I mean, it shocked me. It was such a shocking thing. I never saw that coming. Um, and I, I didn't really know what it meant fully, but I did know that we love this child. Right. So, you know, when my spouse said, what, what do you want to do about this? What are we doing? You know, um, I just said, well, we're, we're going to go into our child's room and say, we love you no matter what. So that's what we did. We, we went into her room and she was in her bed and she was all curled up under the blankets and just sobbing and shaking. I I've never seen her so upset before. Um, and we just got in one on either side and, and we just, you know, rubbed her back and said, it's okay. Everything's okay. We love you. We support you. We're going to figure this out together. We don't care if you're a boy or a girl, we, we don't care. We just want you to be happy. Um, and that was the start of everything. I think of the courage it took her to press send on that message and how many years or thoughts or those nights where she wasn't able to express it. Like, do you think of what that moment was like to actually to do that? Because that was pretty much unfolding and that was the domino, the opening of the Pandora's box, right? To what was going to be the rest of her life. Right, right. And I mean, what we always tried to foster a really open and inclusive environment for our kids. We had had discussions about, you know, you can love who you love and you can be who you are, but never really past that. Um, I was initially I was surprised that it took her as long as it did to be able to tell us. But now I understand because what happened was she first went to Google and she typed in, um, why do I feel like a girl when I'm a boy? And she started to read other accounts of trans people. And she was like, that's me. That is me. That's me right there. I mean, thank goodness for the trans community and the people who can and, and choose to be visible. I mean, you know, I, I can't thank you enough. It, it, it was, uh, that was what she needed. Um, she needed to see herself and, um, but what she also saw, unfortunately, were a lot of stories um, from other trans people who didn't have any acceptance. They weren't they weren't supported. And so, um, you know, th things like, you know, I thought my parents would be cool with this, you know, and and I told them and now I'm kicked out of the house or they refuse to support me or you know, my, excuse me, my, my, or like my family left me or, you know, and, and so she was so scared. She thought, well, I think I have a pretty open-minded family, but is this too much for them? So yeah, the courage that it took for her to do that was, uh, was more than I can, I can imagine. Uh, the girl from Peterborough, I think, tried to look for information and wasn't able to find it a few decades earlier. It was a much scarier time at, and there wasn't the Google machine to be able to find a lot more information. So for Alexis to have that in this time, it was incredibly helpful. And yet at 11, you know, there would have been a lot of 
discussion over it's too young, they don't know, you know, how can these parents, you know, be supporting this? Like that's, um, and thankfully it was at that age as I'm learning because you were able to put a stop to what is usually the most difficult part, which is actually the going through puberty and really seeing these massive changes to a body that feels incredibly foreign to a person. So what was it like then at, at 11 to then go into like mother mode, right? Into beast mode of how do I help my child and what we need to do? Well, I think when parents in, in 2020, um, are looking for information, there's a lot more out there now. A lot has changed in the last six years, six and a half years. Um, with Alexis in 2014, there was information out there, certainly. Um, but things like parent support groups weren't as well known or as big. Um, and I mean, it wasn't well, You, it's not like, you know, it's not like today where you'd be like, oh, yeah, I know. I know. You know what? I know somebody who knows somebody who has a trans kid. Maybe I can put you in touch. Like <laughs> that just wasn't a thing at the time. So a lot of my research was done um, online. And thankfully, I had a couple of, of friends who are um, who are queer, who, you know, who work closely with the community, who are professionals. And I was able to reach out to them and say, help me, help me, help me, help me, help my child. And, uh, and they were able to, you know, sort of give me some guidelines. And it was things like, I didn't know that our local children's hospital had a gender identity clinic. I had no idea. Um, and, and that you could access it without a referral, right? Because a lot of doctors back then, you know, they, they, when we first approached, um, Alexis's pediatrician with this, you know, he said, um, fully supportive. I know this is a thing, but yeah, as far as I know in my practice, I don't have any trans kids. So he wouldn't have even probably known where to look. Right. So yeah, it was, it was a different time. Um, not as challenging, I think, as it would have been even a few years before that though, there were some examples. It's just that they were, um, yeah, there was also a lot of misinformation out there. There still is today, but I think you're going to find a, a lot more useful information, thankfully. You were able to get into the clinics and what happens then? Like there's a lot of testing. There's a lot of understanding where um, Alexis's mindset was or her really understanding what was happening. And I think also a lot of the history, because you had explained like there was a lot of depression and anxiety and outbursts and you couldn't understand why your child wasn't as happy as maybe they should have been you know, living and having things and a loving family. So a lot of those factors kind of, you start to put the pieces of the puzzle together. There, there had been years of frustration and depression, anxiety, everything associated with it. Yeah, we tried everything um, that we that was in our power before she came out to us. We had her at world renowned, you know, psychologists and psychiatrists, and we had tried all these. We tried diet, we had tried exercise, we had tried, you know, sleep schedule stuff. We had tried different types of parenting. I mean, my goodness, I read so many books. I have so many parenting books on my shelf, you know, trying to to figure out how to support this child, and this was the key. This was it because of course you're not going to be happy and you're not going to feel whole and you're not going to be able to live a, a good life if you can't be yourself. So she was, she just didn't have the language. She, she didn't know how to tell us. So she tells us 
And I think there's like this this idea that things happen very very quickly. That you know, um, the you know this 11 year old child comes to you and says, you know, I'm a girl, and suddenly you are in you know in a doctor's office, and all these medical things are happening. And that's not how it works. First of all, there's a wait time, and that wait time actually is way too long right now. Um, there just aren't enough resources. But um, you know, even back then, the the, the wait was a few months, um, and then there's a lot of talking. There's talking to the parents. There's talking to the child. There's talking to the child and the parents. Oh my goodness. I mean, it just, it's just this like, you know, and, and, and the whole way through, you know, how are you feeling now? You know, okay, maybe we'll look at it doing this at the next appointment. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of medical gatekeeping. And, uh, and, you know, I think at the end of the Can day, I just ask you- yeah, Oh, sorry. So when you talk about medical gatekeeping, what are, what are they gatekeeping? What are they trying to figure out as you are going through so many of these appointments and these discussions and the dialogue, what are they looking for? Um, so I think what they're looking for is, um, insistence, persistence, consistence, that those are the things that they're looking for. Is this child consistently saying, this is who I am? Are they very persistently saying, this is what I need? Right. And so, um, and so they're watching for that. So that always, you know, I think, so it's really important to know that not all trans youth access medical care. Not all of them need it. Not all of them want it. And, and medical transition looks different for everybody. Um, and I'm not an expert in that, but it's just something that I've, I've talked to a lot of people about. Um, and so, you know, there, there are certain things that are more common like puberty blockers. Um, and that just basically hits a pause button. It is reversible. Um, they've been used for many different things for many different years for decades. Uh, so that's sort of usually the first medical step, especially if a kid is about to, or is in the early, well, especially if a kid's in the early stages of puberty, they don't tend to give it before puberty. So, um, so that's sort of the first thing. And I remember when Alexis got blockers, um, how much better she felt. And then, of course, the next step is I want to develop in the way that feels right for my body. Um, and in her case, it was not testosterone-driven puberty. And thankfully, again, that had been stopped. It was estrogen-driven puberty. Um, but she had to wait a long time for that, right? They have they have guidelines. And so even though her puberty was stopped at 11, at 11 her testosterone puberty, estrogen couldn't start until at least her 14th birthday. So there was a long period of stasis and frustration for her. Um, so yeah, it's, and then, and then you go on to other things, but those are sort of the two basics of, of some trans youth transitions. Okay. So there's the personal front. There was the family, uh, brothers, you know, what was the reaction from, um, and I, and I know your household's so full of love, uh, but you have the family reaction and then you have, you're going through school, the school system. I think the school system is getting much better, but I don't think it was the, there at the time. You know what? It was almost like living also kind of two different lives at, at one point, the supportive system at home and then the outside world. So do you mind taking us back? Like, what was the reaction of your other sons? Uh, so yeah, the boys were great. They were, they were immediately great. Um, uh, Alexis and I sat them down in the living room one afternoon, um, when she felt it was time and we had a conversation with them. Uh, she did most of the talking. 
And uh, Eric, who was uh, the older one at the time, he was, I'm doing, doing the math now, about 16, 16, 17 at the time. He, um, he said, well, you know, I just want you to be happy. I love you. That's great. You know, and, and that was that. And our, our you know, our youngest Jackson, <laughs> he just kind of sat there. He's like, okay, let me get this straight. So this is again, seven-year-old Jackson. So everybody thinks you're a boy. But actually, you're a girl. And she said, yeah, that's that's right. That's about right. And he's like, all right, that's cool. I always wanted a sister anyway. And that was seriously that. <laughs> there was nothing more to it. They were just like, all right, well, you know what? We got your back. And they were super protective and super supportive of her. And it was wonderful. And so there is the switching of... Uh, pronouns, how you refer to uh, her at home, the switching of of your mindset, right, of, of the references that you make so that she feels comfortable. So what was it like to do that in the home and then have to start to be able to expand it out? And you were very protective. And I think you did as best as you could based on the circumstances to reach out and to eventually have it become more public. Um, well, at home, we just, you know, uh, we, we actually adopted pronouns and, and a name very quickly. Um, that was, uh, I, I don't know why that is, but it just was fairly simple for us all. There weren't a lot of slip ups. Um, but out in the world, it's harder because, um, at first, you know, she's, she's still only out at home. And so, you know, we're not talking, you know, to anyone at the school yet. We're not, we're not talking to anybody outside of, you know, the medical community and a handful of friends, but yeah, when it came to the school, um, it didn't go so well at first, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, I had a very, um, difficult conversation with uh one of the administrators um who thought aloud a lot of the time and was saying things like well what are the other parents going to think and you know uh you know couldn't uh couldn't using old name old pronouns but i won't do that here but couldn't alexis just wait until middle school next year wouldn't that be easier to just to just come out then um because you know it's a lot of work right now in grade six for for just a few months and just things like that it, it was really hard um tried to block my access to directly speak to the teacher about this and i left the school and i got into my car and i just sobbed i sobbed in the parking lot i i was just it was it was basically my nightmare come true that i you know that my kid was going to have a really hard time with this and that's the last thing i wanted i could not i i, I couldn't change how other people uh viewed the situation because i don't have that power um, and I called my mom and my mom is, uh, she's a bit of a hero. She's pretty fantastic. And, uh, one of my brothers has down syndrome and I learned advocacy from my mom because she insisted that he deserve respect and support and education and everything and that he be treated just like everyone, everyone else. And so I grew up watching this and my mom talked me down and reminded me that I was her protector. That is my job. And so I went home and I wrote this like really, um, you know, I crafted this email over the next few days. And, and it was very much like, this is the way things are going to go. These are our rights. Here's a link to her rights as, as a person who lives in Ontario. And I basically just, you know, and here's her rights in the school system. And I got a speedy reply back in the middle of March break. <laughs> I think they, they knew that I meant business and things went a lot smoother after that. 
Um, but yeah, I just, I, I think it was just um, a slow coming out um, in, in those areas. Um, but with, with friends, it was a little bit harder. We certainly had some social challenges. A lot of our friends were fantastic. Um, some of our friends are no longer our friends and, uh, they, you know, I, I basically told people that, um, that if they couldn't accept her, that they needed to exit our lives quietly. And unfortunately some people did, but that's okay because it really has made room in the last little while. And I say this with, um, you know, uh, so much truth behind it. We have met some incredible people who have taken up that space in our hearts since then. You know, because I've read the book, I mean, I know, I know some of the writing now, I know some of these stories and I, and the thing is for me is I want people to pick up this book and read it from cover to cover. So, and to really understand some of the different steps that you had to go through, but you know, I'm getting through like half the story here and then I'm, I'm, I'm already looking at the time going, okay, I want to get as much in. So I'm, people are going to read kind of how that trans transpired and you know, you're a year and a half into this process. Alexis is doing well. She's kind of things in your house seem to kind of be like, okay, we've got this. We have a beautiful family. We're thriving. Kids are doing well. Alexis is on her way. You haven't had this like picture perfect marriage either. There's been turmoil and ups and downs and, and, and not un well, a little bit like unhappiness, just not feeling like this was where marriage should kind of have been. And it was then a year and a half after Alexis comes out that you have this very difficult discussion with your spouse. I, that, that car ride, like that, that discovery and that evening is, it's like implanted in like in my, in my heart right now. I'm, I'm fresh still from reading it. So it's still so vivid, but to go through this again in a very different way with your spouse at that time, finally speaking her truth. So, uh, I want to preface this by saying that I have an anxiety disorder and, um, my anxiety is triggered by change, like a lot of people, right? So all I wanted after all of that bullying and all of the all of the things that I had been through, all the upheaval I'd been through when I was younger, I just wanted to to just blend in, have you know a really typical life. And uh, so our child comes out, and that was kind of a big deal. It was. But at the end of the day, you know, she's she's finding her path. We're supportive. We have all the supports in place. We're doing a lot of advocacy at this point, uh, particularly Alexis and me. And um, things are settling down. I'm like, okay, well, you know, that's fine. Now we just, you know, we we have a daughter. That's cool. Otherwise, you know, we 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 really fit in pretty typically. And uh, I I was thinking about my marriage though. And, and yeah, it was unhappy. It wasn't good. And we had gone to pride weekend in Toronto and had a wonderful time and came home. And then the misery settled in again. And I was like, what is going on with this person? We'd been married 18 years at the time. And, uh, so we went out 
uh, I decided to take my partner out on a date and I was going to get to the bottom of things. And boy, did I get to the bottom of things. Uh, So, you know, things aren't really going well. Uh, There's no cheering up happening. And I'm, I'm asking, you know, I'm like, I really wish you would tell me what's going on. And there was a lot of like, you know, you know, you know what, it's not really, let's not worry about it. I was like, no, it's time. So I started asking the big questions on the way home in the car. And I was like, you know, let's just be honest with each other. Is it, is it me? Is it, is it me? We've been together since we were teenagers. And the answer was, no, it's not you. I love you very much. And I was like, okay, is it the family life? Like, again, we've been doing this. We were young parents and and we got married in our early twenties and we've been, we've been doing this a long time. Maybe it's just, you know, the grind it's hard. Um, and, uh, and it was like, no, I love the kids. I love our, I love our family. This predates you and the kids. I was like, okay, well, I guess I have to get to the bigger stuff then. So I figured I'd get, you know, a couple things out of the way. And one of them was, you know, are, are you gay? And the answer was, you know, no, I'm not. Um, which I found out later is technically a lie. <laughs> but anyway, um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, in other words, I'm no, I'm not attracted to men. <laughs> that's not, that's not what's going on. And so I just, I, you know, I just, I asked it because I knew this was a source of, of unhappiness for my child and a lot of other people I had met since then. So I just figured I'd get this one out of the way too. And I was like, are you a woman? And the answer was just complete silence. And, and I know you were saying that this was, you know, this is still in your heart years later. I still remember that moment. That is a moment that is forever imprinted in, in, my mind and my heart. It will never go away. And it's not a bad thing. That was at, at the time it felt terrible because I knew, I knew. And, and, uh, you know, I, I did not respond well. <laughs> I, uh, I, I will not say what I said, but it is in the book. <laughs> um, I use some, uh, some, some language I'm not proud of. And my reaction was just one of shock. I, I just couldn't believe it. I didn't know that you could have two trans people in a family. I didn't know. I mean, I just thought that being trans was so rare. How how can you have two people? But it all started to make sense because just like Alexis, Zoe had had everything in so many ways and and you know, including so much love. And that wasn't enough because, of course, how can you be happy if you can't be yourself? It's that, you know, society denies people the ability to be themselves and then, you know, expects them to be what we expect them to be. And and that's that does a disservice to so many people. So, yeah, she was a woman and could never, ever say anything because she um, she had tried to come out when she was younger and got met with um with a, a lot of um, uh, anger and a lack of support from the people around her and just shut that closet door and barricaded it close and tried really hard to be a man and a husband and a father. And it, it was, it was tearing her apart at the seams. And then to have a child. So for her internal struggle, which I would think would be a daily internal struggle, no matter what you're doing or try to, you know, being that father figure and going to work and being the man of the house. I mean, and you talk about all the things that Zoe didn't enjoy doing. (laughs) There was no loving, you know, doing the yard work and mowing the lawn and, you know, doing those kinds of things. Like 
at all. So to have to put this on a daily facade, but then to see your child have the courage to do something that you haven't been able to do at the time, like how influential was Alexis and her journey into Zoe having it being the right time for her to come out? Um, Zoe would tell you and has said many times before that if, uh, if it wasn't for Alexis, she probably wouldn't be here today, which is a really heartbreaking thing for me to think about because I love her so much, but, um, she was getting to that breaking point. Things were getting harder and harder to keep together. And then one of our kids comes out and that sort of uh, like you said, it opened up Pandora's box in a way, but in a good way, because she started to see um, these parts of herself that she had stuffed so down. And she thought to herself, well, I'm I'm going to wait and see how things go, you know, and, and she saw Alexis receiving so much support. And she saw that there was a vibrant, um, you know, embracing trans community that that was really wonderful to people who were coming out and 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 able to, to to provide support and that there were resources now that just weren't available when she was younger. Um, and so uh, I don't know if that night, if I hadn't have asked that question, I mean, I, I, I don't know if she would have come out that night, but it would have been soon. Um, and it was, it was good that she did because yeah, I think, I think if Alexis hadn't come out, our, our entire lives right now would be very, very different and not in a good way. No, if I don't know, the marriage would have survived or as we will learn, or if you would have ever come to your unique and authentic self also. And so, you know, I'm thinking the the kids have been through a lot and Jackson and Eric have been through a lot and, you know, and they've been such supportive brothers to Alexis, but then, you know, you, and it, and it wasn't immediate as you'll learn it when you're reading the book. Like it, it wasn't like, you know, you came home from that, that dinner or that coffee date and sat down with the kids. I mean, you guys kept this, kind of quiet within the, the two of you to have these discussions for you to come to terms with what you were going to do, which at least you made the commitment that you weren't going to make a drastic decision at that point and give it some time to, to sink in. But what was that like? And then having to sit down with the family a second time to reveal what was then going on. Like, it's like the book just keeps, it's just like every time it's like, you know, that mind blowing emoji, you know, it's just like, gosh, how are they going to do it? It's like, how are they going to do it this time? How are they going to sit the family down this time? Like, honestly. Yeah. Our, our kids are just incredibly resilient. Um, and, and I, I can't, Fully, you know, we can't take credit for, for everything about them. They just, that's just who they are. Um, it was harder to find out that they had two moms. I mean, um, I think it's just that, you know, who your siblings are really matters, but that's not necessarily part of your identity, but who your parents are. I mean, sort of some fundamentals that we know about ourselves and, and who we are growing up, you know, things like, I have a mom and a dad. Well, what if you find out that you don't have a mom and a dad, that you actually have a mom and a mom, 
And what does that look like? Except that they both, you know, like they, they created you, this mom and this mom too, right? And so it's a little bit different than, you know, if you've always known that you had two moms. And I mean, there's just, there's, there's so many layers and complexities. And, and that was sort of hard for me to wrap my mind around. I, I couldn't imagine what they were going through. But I will tell you one thing, even though there were some tears and, and they, they had, um, you know, some, some questions and they had to look at sort of, you know, who they were learning how to be men from, especially, you know, I mean, the, the, the two boys and, you know, um, and, and then, you know, um, I think that they, they showed love like the whole way through. They were once again, immediately supportive of Zoe and, and, you know, and, and, and they knew immediately, well, that means that you're not our dad. And in some families, there are um, people who transition and, and they maintain sort of that role. Like if, if, a, if a woman, you know, if a trans woman transitions, she may still call herself dad, but that didn't feel right to anybody in our family, um, you know, especially Zoe and the kids. It just, you know, that for them, that really didn't fit. Like, well, no, because they had internalized, they understood what trans meant. And to them, that meant you have always been who who you are, you know, telling us you are now. So that means that you're our other mom, right? So what do we call you? I mean, it was just such a, such a, a quick conversation. They just immediately were like, okay, so you're not our dad. All right. So what does that look like? Does that mean you're our other mom, but we already call her mom. So what are we going to call you? And so they, they settled on mama and that's, what they call her today and it just fits everything. Just it's, it's really hard to describe how you can go through all of this change, but everything just feels better and more real now. Like it's really, you know, of course she's their other mom. I, we, we don't, we don't ever think otherwise. No. And, and you're able to say that now because you've been through it and, you know, and you've had this discussion with people, I think quite often now, but it, the book allows us to understand how each of these different stages went and with the kids and then with the family. And then of course, you know, with Zoe's workplace, I mean, she's been at a workplace and well-respected in a male role where people saw her doing this from a male's perspective, right? A job. And it's kind of like, well, no, (laughs) You know, I was I, I'm still as capable of doing the same job that I've been doing all of these years, you, you know, just under a different name. And this is how I'm going to look. And I was actually really pleasantly surprised by the reaction and maybe the changes in workplace and in inclusion. But I actually felt really enlightened in the chapter of Zoe's first day back at work. Like it. It, it it made I was proud to have to know that there were organizations that dealt with it the way it should have been done. And that's not always the case. No, it's not always the case. And even today, I, I you know, I, I hear a very sort of plugged into a lot of people in the trans community now because uh, of our family. And I hear stories of people going back to work and not having that acceptance. You know, maybe people on paper are accepting, but they're not accepting like Zoe's work was. And, you know, um, without giving too much away, essentially, they they not only accepted her immediately but they they celebrated her they celebrated her being who she is and this is after many years of working at the same company in a very male dominated field to have all of these people say 
you know what? We've got your back. And not only we got your back, but we're going to throw you a bit of a party. Right. I mean, that's, that's so cool. It was, it was, it just, I, I remember being so worried for her that day um, because she had the support at home and she had the support from our friends and family. She had all of that, but work is a really important place for a lot of people. You're spending a lot of your waking hours there. You have to interact with a lot of people. And so, you know, um, it had to not only feel um, okay, it had to feel good. Right. It has to, it has to, it doesn't have to be perfect, but it has to feel like you're not ostracized there, that you're not, you know, that the people aren't judging you constantly that that creates a really toxic environment. Um, You know, I remember pacing the floor back and forth and waiting for her text. And and when she started to text me about the wonderful things that, that her, her work had done to show her that they support her, that, that just made my whole day. Yeah, it was it was an awesome chapter to read. And 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 just even the email that she sent to her coworkers and she was going to take the week off, you know, for them to kind of come to terms with it and have a chance to kind of digest it and soak it in. I I thought the chapter was just really beautifully done. And then it comes to the the next part of the story which is okay, Alexis is finding her way. Zoe is in her authentic self and living the life that she's always been meant to live. And then that leaves you, Amanda, a mom, you know, and married to someone for, and together like 18 years. Uh, and I know, and I, I appreciated kind of some of the, cause a lot of the times you talk about the blog and people's reaction on Facebook, like there's, you go into so many details, but then it's also the comments, which can destroy anyone. And trust me, being in the public eye, right? You kind of get comments from everywhere and saying anything and assumptions, right? But the assumptions coming out, well, you know, she's definitely got to leave. She's going to leave her because, well, she's straight or no one can, you know, stay in a marriage like this, or maybe they're just friends. It's a platonic marriage, you know, like there were so many kind of discussions and dialogue as to, you know, what was going to be your truth in this and how were you going to stay in this relationship? And I think this is where the entire story really comes full full circle into why this family is thriving right now is because everyone has found their true identity or their truth in all of this. Cause that wasn't easy. That wasn't easy for you either to have to look inwards to go, how do I fit into all of this? Yeah, it was after Zoe came out and, you know, started expressing her, her, herself, um, you know, and living as a woman. Um, I mean, I, everything felt right, like really, really good. Um, And my attraction level to her just went through the roof. Like my heart would skip a beat when she walked down the stairs. Um, You know, we would laugh and talk and hold hands and like everything just felt so right. And I had known um, my I think for a very long time that I was, you know, I think my whole life really that I was, I was attracted to women, but I tried to tell myself that I was, you know, primarily attracted to men. And that again came from two things. I mean, one is the era that I grew up in um, and sort of the, the, you know, unspoken for the most part expectations of, of who I needed to be when I grew up. And part of it had to do with, having stuck out at school and, um, and what that did to me psychologically, right. And the trauma from that. Um, and I just, I just wanted to blend. So, um, I, 
very early on decided that what I needed to do was settle down with a man and have children, get married, have children, have a house, you know, do some gardening, um, you know, have Tupperware parties or whatever. Like that, that's, you know, drive a minivan. That was the, the life I needed to lead. And, um, you know, that meant that I had to keep a part of myself hidden. And as it, as I got older, and even before all of this happened, I was starting to come to the realization that I was not at all attracted to men. And I have never been attracted to men. That was really hard. And so like Alexis, feeling like she couldn't be herself, and like Zoe, feeling like she couldn't be herself, in some ways, I also was trying not to be myself. And there were elements of my family that I loved. Like I loved Zoe and there was always sort of a, 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 a like a bit of an attraction there to her, even when I, you know, even as when I perceived her as male. Um, and I think it's because she always had that feminine essence to her and I just didn't really see it. I, I don't think I ever looked for it, but I felt an attraction to her that I never had for any, any guy. Um, but when she came out, oh, wow. Like that was, that was huge for me, that realization, but it, it took me a while. And when I was finally able to say it and say like, I'm a lesbian, I felt so free. Um, and I don't think it's such a complex thing to understand because, you know, how could I be a lesbian and be in a, in you know, in a marriage I thought was straight for so long. But I mean, a lot of lesbians have done that. A lot, a lot of, a lot of gay men have done that. A lot of people have done that. Um, it's just that in my case, I was fully able to accept who I was because my partner transitioned. I fell in love like I had never fallen in love before. And it was like a whole new level. And that's when I realized it. And that's when I was able to be honest with myself. I have felt so much better, like a weight is off my shoulders ever since. No word of a lie. And you can see that. I mean, I, I know you talk about like not even ever having pictures of, you know, the wedding photos or a wedding album out. And yet now there's with you and Zoe, there's pictures and selfies and frame pictures of the, you know, you did a 20 year kind of recelebration and, and, and kind of renewing of your vows. Like it's such an interesting journey to take. And yet there's still so much there's still so much ahead, right? Like where, where do things go now? How do you and Alexis continue to be activists? Like you have spoken on big stages. Uh, you have been part of um, government legislation. So where, where do we stand now? Like this is your, this is your reality, but how is the general public, even as I said, like changing our language, changing our perception, where's the medical system? What do we still have ahead of us to kind of be a more inclusive society to this? Well, I love that people are connecting to our story. I love that people are connecting to me as a mom and as a partner. And I think that that's all really important. What I've always ever wanted from this is just to be a bridge. So what I really want is um, I, I want other cisgender people to learn from trans people. Um, you know, I want them to to read my book or learn about our family I want that to normalize families like ours. And I want that I want it to normalize trans experiences and queer experiences. Um, and and see that we are really just like we haven't 
nothing about us has changed. We live in the same house on the same street with the same neighbors, more or less. And, uh, you know, our kids have gone to the same schools and we know the same people and, and we're still, we're still the same people. It's just, we look a little different now. Um, and that's sort of, I think the, the step we need to see is just to have that. But then what I really want to see is I want to see, more people go, okay, now I want to learn from trans people. I want to learn about their experiences. I want, I want to know what it's like to be uh, an older trans person, a younger trans person. And, and, and the best people you can learn from when it comes to that are trans people themselves. So I'm always happy to tell our story. My family often joins me in telling our story. I'm, I'm really happy that we can be that sort of, you know, good news, um, you know, happy ending fairy tale for a lot of people, because in many ways we have been. Um, but um, there are still a lot of hurdles there. There's still, you know, there, there are, um, there's legislation that happens all over the world, rolling back rights for LGBT people. I mean, there, there are, um, you know, there are people, there, there are places that are reversing their, their decisions on, you know, supporting trans people or allowing them to transition or change their ID, um, questioning whether or not trans kids should have access to care, et cetera, et cetera. And so we need to lift up trans voices so they can tell Tell us what's going on and what they need so we can help fight with them. Is there a way a parent, you know, you look back and go, we went, we checked all of the boxes of therapy and diet and exercise. And we did all of, all of the, the things as parents to try to figure out what was happening with our child. Are there things that they should be looking for or asking or being open to, to allow a child who might be struggling to find their their own voice and to find their way or was it just it happens when they're ready well I think providing the atmosphere the environment is so critical I thought we had done that but you know hindsight's always 2020 when when I look back now I wish that we had had more inclusive picture books um, I wish that we had watched more inclusive films and and TV shows. Um, I, you know, I wish that we had had open discussions. I wish that I had taken the time to learn about something like, you know, uh, trans people's experiences so that I could bring it up at the dinner table. Hey, I learned this thing today, you know, or hey, have you checked out this video? I think that providing that opportunity for kids you're all you're doing is going, I am open to this by showing that you're open to it. They can walk through that door, but if you don't open the door, they can't walk through it. Parents hold all the power here. So if you have that door closed, it's essentially locked. So just make it as open as you can. If, you know, if your child is, is LGBT, you know, then they can walk through that door. If they're not, you then become a safe place for their friends and other people, maybe other young people in your family, um, nieces, nephews. I mean, you don't know, you don't know who's going to need that safe place to fall. So you can be that safe place just by showing that you are. The one thing that I think was so critical with Alexis is that it was, it was able to come at an age where the difficulties moving ahead were going to be a little bit less than someone who goes through puberty or is, you know, gone through more of the transition or the body parts or, you know, it, it's, it happens very differently. How do you come at it? Or I know you've had people that said it was too young or they're too young to know. What do you, what do you say to that? 
So I think that science has really demonstrated and continues to demonstrate that trans kids know themselves as well as cis kids. Um, trans kids have a really good grasp of who they are. Uh, one thing I like to bring up to people, they say, well, you know, um, how could your kid possibly know that they were a girl, uh, you know, at 11 or, or whatever it may be? I'll say, well, how did you know you were a girl at 11? Well, I just knew exactly. Right. Uh, and some people do take longer to figure that out. That's okay too. Right. And not everybody knows who they are, but you have kids who are very, again, insistent that this is who they are and you have to listen to them. They know, and, and science is backing them up finally. So that's, that's really good. Um, I think there's a lot of risk. In fact, I don't even just think, I mean, again, um, science has proven there's a lot of risk to ignoring kids who tell you that they're trans and they need support. Um, we know that, uh, just affirming names and pronouns reduces the rate of self-harm and suicide, depression, anxiety. And we certainly know that parents who are very supportive, um, reduce the risk of suicide and self-harm to levels that are seen in kids that are, you know, like in a typical range for that age, as opposed to eight times higher, which is eight to 10 times higher is, is the average for trans youth who are not supported at home. So yeah, um, it's, it's really about saving lives. So when you, when you look at that, you do what's best and what's best is to listen to your kid. How is Alexis doing right now? How old is she now? So Alexis is 17 and uh, more recently told us that while she is extremely happy with her name, her pronouns and the path that she's on medically, um, that she's more, uh, more non-binary than anything. It's just that in 2014, you know, it was a much more binary world. If you, if you were not a boy, then you must be a girl. And now we know that gender is much more of a spectrum. So she's like, I am totally cool with the path that I'm going down. Uh, you know, no regrets. This is great. But I just want you to know that I'm, I'm comfortable with she, her, and I'm also comfortable with the pronouns they, them. And we're like, okay, cool. It just was such a, 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 it was no big deal. Nothing about this was a big deal. Um, and I think that that's, that's the approach we have to take as parents. It's like, our job is not to raise our kids um, with the ideas for them that we have in mind. Our job is to raise our kids to be the best version of themselves. This is the best version of herself. She is 17 and a half. She is really into music production. She wants to go in that direction. She is exceptionally talented in that area. And her life is so typical. It's a really typical existence where she has friends and she has school and she has dreams and she's able to go on about her life. And that is because we helped clear the path for her to make that happen. And that's, that's what all parents should strive to do when their kids have challenges. You help them with those challenges. You really have. And I think you have helped so many strangers and people around the world with the book. Were you surprised at how profound an impact this book has had on people all around the world? I am shocked. Um, you know, I I knew I had to write the book and then to for it to be uh, picked up very early on by a major publisher was huge. So hats off to Penguin Random House for taking that chance. Um, and they have been exceptional in their support of the book. Um, and then 
the people. I mean, I'm hearing from people literally all over the world. You know, I, I get emails every single day from people who are saying this book really helped me understand something that I didn't know I needed to understand better, or this book really helped me accept my child, or this book, this is, this is my favorite. And this one always makes me cry. This book helped me come out to my family. Um, that one's really profound. When I came out to my family, I gave copies of this book to my family members. Um, or, you know, this book helped save my marriage and keep my family intact. Like I'm, I'm holding back tears just talking about that because that I wasn't expecting that level of, of change. Um, I'm really, really grateful. And I, I hope we keep having this conversation. I hope other people keep having this conversation and that this just opens the door for more voices. Well, I, your voice has uh, has had an impact on me. I have told my 15-year-old daughter this is her next uh, quarantine book that she's going to be reading. It's been a dialogue and discussion around our dinner table. And um, just just honestly, it's even understanding the pronouns and how things are going. You did such a good job uh, at educating people who who already thought that they were open and inclusive and um, and aware, but it brings us to a different level that I think we can be, I think, prouder of, I, if that's even a way of saying it, as my language is definitely not up to par with yours, which is quite impressive for someone who you just, how long ago did you graduate high school? Like your story, like you even, like you, you even got your high school because you hadn't graduated high school when all of this, because you have to read your story, but you're an exceptional writer. And your grade 10, it was your grade 10 teacher, right? That knew that? Is that, that was the was one from my, my teacher? Yeah, it was my yeah. grade 10 teacher, Mrs. Joyce Wagland, who I came, surprised me and came back to town for my book signing. <gasps> and oh my I God, I'm sorry. How is that? Oh, I would have exploded amazing. into tears. It was amazing. Um, yeah, we had uh, my, um, my, so my book launch was at, uh, at uh, downtown Chapters Indigo. And, uh, and there were so many people I, I could not believe the amount thank you thank you ottawa the amount of people who showed up for that book launch i, I don't even know how many um and uh in the back as i'm signing books i look way back and there's mrs wagland and i just i lost it i was so happy to see her we ended up going out for brunch a couple weeks later and it was so nice to catch up with her and just say thank you for believing in me in a time when I didn't believe in myself. And again, I didn't finish high school till I was 38 years old. So I didn't even finish high school even after my, you know, meeting her, but she was the one who took me aside one day and said, you are a writer. And do you know that about yourself? And I said, not really. And she said, well, you are. And, uh, and, and it was so nice to be able to dedicate part of the book to her because she, you know, it takes, thank you teachers. Uh, it takes one good educator to change the world. Oh, it really does. I would have burst out crying had I just seen that reunion, but I'm such a sap for that kind of stuff. It's perfect. I want to remind people the book is called Love Lives Here, a story of thriving in a transgender family. Uh, you know, it's a great little place. You've made Canada home. You've got, you know, it's, you're living, you're living your life. And I think it's, it's, it's beautiful to see and educating as we go. And I'm so happy. I, I love looking at the pictures in the book of you and Zoe <laughs> and your family and the family support. Like if you need that uplifting and story by the end, because trust me, the beginning of the book's got a lot of details to it. Uh, this is definitely uh, the perfect read. And I want to pitch it to the school boards that this should be part of their reading curriculum. If there ever has that chance, Amanda, thank you. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. It was a great chat. 
Oh, it really, like, thank you. I, I was really excited for this one. So thank you to everyone. That's again, another episode of Living Your Life with Leanne Lang. Please, if you have the opportunity, let people know, share the story, share the podcast, like, comment, uh, and be able to get this podcast really kind of all around the world, which it's doing these days. Much love. Have a great day. It's said that the more time you have to invest, the greater the return. Well, guess what? Kids have the most time if we learn to invest early. That's why I created the Cash Kid Podcast, where I teach kids and some adults financial skills they need to know on how to earn, save, and invest their money. Join me on this journey as we interview experts and explore topics that allow you to grow your money as kids. This podcast will help you become the money expert among your family and friends. Just remember, anyone can be a cash kid. You just have to learn how to become one. Get ready to grow your financial knowledge and your wallet with the Cash Kid Podcast.